You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, everyone. Before I get started on today's episode, I want to just say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening and telling their friends about the show. With Season 3, ArtSmart has shot up to the top of the visual arts charts here in the U.S., and it feels really good to know that so many people like what I've been doing. If you want to give me feedback to help me keep growing and improving, please take the network survey linked in the show notes or by going to www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave. If you fill out the survey, you'll be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card as our way of saying thank you. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted, your guide to quick and easy art history. We're cutting through all that art world jargon that doesn't make sense to anyone, because art is for everyone. Welcome to Art Smart. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're going to be looking at crayons. Smell is said to be the sense most closely tied to memory. There's something about the smell of crayons that takes me back to my childhood. The art classroom barely larger than my current supply closet but above all, the thrill of creating. Crayons were among the first media I felt like I had some control over. They didn't drip like paint or smear like ink. Crayons would sit in my hand and leave their marks on the paper exactly as I wanted them to. There's an ease of picking up a crayon and drawing that even today I find comforting. As a kid, Herb Williams loved art too. He says he always knew he wanted to create, and he dove into working with all sorts of media. He enjoyed his elementary art classes and created on his own at home. He continued studying art in high school, then for college he chose an art program. When he finished school, he apprenticed at a foundry. Now, a foundry is a place where metal is cast. Metal is heated to the point where it melts into a liquid that can be poured into a mold. It's hard work in a factory that feels like the surface of the sun. Herb spent years creating lost wax castings of bronze pieces for other artists. He had the privilege of making a piece that would be sent off to MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art. Of course, while he was on the team physically creating the bronze, it was another artist's vision. It was another artist's work, and Herb Williams wanted to create his own work. So he decided to move to Nashville, where he rented a modest cellar studio. He wanted to create something original that he hadn't seen before and began experimenting with all sorts of materials. He describes himself as a cliché of a starving artist neglecting his needs for food or sleep. He was consumed by his drive to create, and the times he was outside his studio, he was mainly traveling from thrift stores to flea markets, scrounging whatever materials may be of use for a new artwork. In talking to Herb, he described hitting a sort of rock bottom. He says, in all of these experiments, he created, his words here, a lot of bad art. His friends and family were exasperated with him, and he was ready to actually give up on art. He threw away a number of his artworks and went to bed with the idea that he would apply for a new job in the morning. But that night, 
Herb says he had the most vivid dream of his entire life, and it marked a turning point. So in his dream, he's talking to SF MoMA, and they wanted to put on a retrospective of his work. I feel like that's pretty much every artist's dream. But Dream Herb was a smart man, because he agreed and then asked exactly which of his works they appreciated. So the dream goes on and he arrives at the retrospective, eager to see what he had finally come up with that would break through. As he walks in, he says he sees iguanas everywhere. Tons and tons of iguanas all over the gallery space, and they're made of all sorts of different materials. At first, they were traditional wood, clay, stone. And then, as he goes on, getting deeper into the show, they're made of more unusual materials like paper clips, matchsticks, and finally, at the end of the line, there's an iguana made of crayons. He woke up at 3 a.m., rolled over and grabbed the sketchbook from his nightstand so he could make notes of his idea. He sketched out his plans and went back to sleep. The next day, he made his first sculpture out of crayons, and the rest, as they say, is history. Herb Williams has been making amazing sculptures out of crayons for 20 years. Over that time, I can only imagine how many crayons he must have used. He says there are nine crayons per square inch in a sculpture, and he started off ordering dozens of boxes of those 64 packs of crayons until one day a crayon company representative called him up to ask him what he was doing with all of these orders. Herb laughed as he told me that because he had spent over $10,000 on crayons, he had qualified to be listed as one of their wholesalers And so he began ordering them by the crate. It's kind of funny to think of one grown man ordering more crayons than I have in all of my years teaching hundreds of students. While crayons are often seen as a simple tool for children's art, and Herb has a charming, relaxed personality, he takes his art very seriously. You don't spend thousands of dollars on a material without giving it a little bit of thought. The beauty of the crayon as a sculpture material is that it adds that sensory element. We not only see the sculptures, we smell the wax of the crayon and it gives us a warm feeling of nostalgia along with an entry point making the artwork more accessible. Perhaps that's why galleries like the Dawson Cole Gallery of California all the way to the airport in Atlanta proudly display these sculptures. And I hope one day he'll get that retrospective in SF MoMA. In preparation for this episode, I was lucky enough to actually get to talk to Herb. He was nice enough to answer some of my questions. And one of the things he shared with me was a little bit of advice for young artists. He said, you got to work through all different materials. Be open to experimentation and try different things. And it's okay that some of those things won't work out. But that's all part of the journey to find the material and the method and the style that will click so that you can create something new and original. I feel like in some ways that life-changing dream he had is the perfect illustration of that as he talked about 
in his dream, he was tackling that same subject matter of the iguanas, but starting off in the traditional wood and stone and working his way down to unexpected materials until finally he reached the crayon. We've got to crawl before we can walk. We've got to learn the ins and outs of the material, learning the traditional methods before we can turn things on their heads and use a drawing material as a sculpted object. Now, if you want to learn more about Herb and his work, I'm going to put some links in the show notes to his website and Instagram and all of that. And while you're down there checking the links in the show notes, be sure to click on the link to the Airwave Media Listener Survey at surveymonkey.com r slash airwave. Now, after the break, we're going to learn about how crayons are made and what we can do with them. Now, once again, I have, I guess, my new best friend, Rita Gibson from Frank. For sure. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on to tell me about crayons. I'm excited to learn more about this because I think one of the first episodes we recorded together, you dropped a little bit of knowledge saying that there are water-soluble crayons. Yep, we have water-soluble crayons. So we have materials that are put together that kind of dissolve once you take a wet paintbrush to it. It'll really turn um, your crayon artwork into a watercolor. So again, it's kind of like a magical experience to kind of transform your art from um, crayon drawing into more of a watercolor. So it's pretty cool. I I love that. I um, honestly, I had never heard of that before. I've I've seen the watercolor um, colored pencils that you brush water over and stuff like that. And I knew you could do that with the markers. I had not seen or heard of that with a crayon. And I am not even going to dig into the science behind how you've got a water soluble <laughs> wax. Um, I'm just going to go with your explanation that <laughs> Prang invented magic. So hats off to the scientists on that one. But just to get started, can you tell me, like, how are crayons made? I mean, my understanding of a crayon, I think of it basically as a a wax pastel. You know, you've got, like, pigment, and instead of, like, a gum Arabic binder, you've got a wax. But honestly, like, where does the wax even come from? How do you get the color in there? Just what are the steps in this production process? Yeah. Well, so the wax, the crayons are made out of waxes, and usually it's a blend of a couple of different waxes, paraffin waxes, microcrystalline waxes, organic pigments, and then a couple of materials that make the color transfer so that when you color with the crayon, your red or your purple or your green will rub off as you uh, apply it to paper. Okay, so then just a little follow-up question. How do you get it into a stick? Because I... I'm I'm going to I'll be honest, I have been known to melt down some crayons and any time that I have, you know, got it on my hands, I can't roll it out. I need to get it off because <laughs> it is like burning hot. How do you get it into that cylindrical form? Sure. So the wax is all liquid. So we have it heated up and it's all liquid in it in its holding tanks or in the storage tank that we get it in. Um, So we basically get um, the liquid wax and we add the color into it. And we have a machine that has thousands of little crayon shaped molds that are with inside of it. When we have a new batch that we wanna make, we'll take the liquid wax and we'll flood that machine. 
And then once all those little areas of their, their crayon shape are filled, we switch it to a different cycle, which basically makes it cool really quickly. So that um, makes the hot wax transform into a cool wax. And then, so that goes from a liquid to a solid. Um, and then you'll have your finished crayon, which is a solid state. Okay, so it, it's almost like filling up an ice cube tray, right? Like you've got a little form yeah. that you're pouring a liquid into and then you freeze it to harden it. Well, maybe not freeze it, but you yeah. cool it down so it gets from that liquid to a solid. Yep, it goes into a chilling process so it gets cold and, and gets, gets solid. Um, and then once everything is solid, we have another machine that pushes the crayons up from the bottom and it pushes it out of the machine and they roll down the little conveyor and they get a label that's specially applied to each one of them. Um, and then we have a whole rainbow of crayons in a station that has a machine that goes through and picks the colors that you need for each of the boxes so that we know which colors go into a 12 pound or a 24 pound. They know which ones they need to pick. So now this this gets the wheels turning for me. Like I, I love this fact that it's like a liquid and it gets poured into a mold. And for me with that connection to an ice cube tray, it got me wondering, can I just like melt down crayons into an ice cube tray? Can I make my own custom shaped and sized crayons and stuff like that? Most totally. Um, so I just want to put it out there. If you're melting crayons, it's always a really good idea to make sure you have an adult around because you're going to need some kitchen tools to do it. I would not necessarily microwave it. That's typically not the preferred route. Um, an oven is really what you're gonna want to use as you're gonna make your upcycled crayons. Um, so crayons melt between 120 and 150 Fahrenheit, which is super hot compared to any summer day that any of us have experienced, um, which is why we need that oven. Um, so if you wanna upcycle your crayons, what you really need is to have some cupcake tins. And if you have paper muffin cups that can line those tins that really helps speed up and makes cleanup a lot easier. What you really want to do is take broken or gently used crayons because you don't want to take your brand new crayons necessarily and upcycle them. You just want to use this so that you can keep using them all the way to the end. You really just need to peel off the paper so that you can melt them. Um, a tip is if you soak the crayon in water for a few minutes, it's going to help you peel off the paper a lot easier. You also want to remember that you're going to want to heat up your oven to 250 when you start this process so that it's nice and hot and ready to go when you're ready to make your crayon. And just throwing this out there because you mentioned water-soluble crayons, probably don't soak the water-soluble crayons in, in Do not water. soak the water-soluble crayons. <laughs> this is just for standard crayons only. Those will disappear. It'll just yeah. be... <laughs> It'll just be a colored water, but... Um, yeah. But with the regular crayons and on the off chance that one of my students ever listens, I want to reinforce your point that we don't do this with the new crayons, right? For sure. Don't destroy sure. my good stuff. Yeah, I mean, use your crayons and then once you're almost finished using them or if they have broken or something to that nature, they have more life ahead of them. So it's just a fun way to do it. Um, the, cooler, the coolest thing, I think, is um, if you kind of want to do a swirl crayon, like for your upcycle crayon, that's always really fun. You take two or three different colors and you put them in the muffin tin. And then when it melts, it is just a really beautiful design and swirl that's in there. Um, so that's always kind of an interesting way to, you know, make a new crayon and give a new experience. Um, or you can make it all the same color too. Either way works. 
I love that idea, though. We can invent our own colors by mixing a few in in there as we're baking them for, what is it, 20 minutes or something like that? Yeah, about 20 minutes. And, you know, just as the, the color nerd I want to point out, analogous colors will tend to blend well. Colors next to each other in the rainbow, like your red and your orange and your pinks are going are gonna to go nicely together compared to like complementary colors, which sounds like they're going to go nicely together, but <laughs> complementary are opposite colors. And if we mix like a red and green, it's going to turn kind of muddy and brown. Mm-hmm. But now moving on to some other, you know, practical tips here, because we learned a little bit about how they're put together, how they're created. But let's get on to the fun stuff. How do we create with them? I personally always love a good resist. I teach young students. Sometimes like watercolors can be really frustrating because if you're like me and have no sense of proportion and you're putting way too much water in there, it's dripping all over the place. It's hard to get the, the details right. And so I always tell students, use crayons, apparently not the water soluble ones, for the <laughs> small details and then paint over it because, you know, the watercolor paint slides off the wax from the traditional crayon. What kind of techniques have you found work well with crayons? Um, one of, I think something that always is a real hit uh, with all ages um, really seems to be making your own scratch art with crayons. Yes. So, yeah, that's always fun. It's Each experience is different and you can kind of um, make it as bright or as bold as you want it to be. When you make scratch art with, your, with crayons, all you really need to do is grab a piece of white paper and then cover, color, make sure you color the entire paper with a heavy layer of crayon. The amount of pressure that you use on it is going to really show in your work. So you want to make sure that every part of the white paper is colored because that's the color that's going to show through when you start scratching off the top layer. Um, once you're finished with the bottom crayon layer, you can use a black tempera paint or a black oil pastel that's going to help you make that top scratch off layer for your art. Um, so it's just a couple components you need for making your own scratch art, and most of these materials you should hopefully have at home. Um, but once you coat over your colorful background with black tempera or black oil pastels, um, and it sets up and it's ready for you to start scratching, all you need to do is find a craft stick, a paper clip, a toothpick, or something that you can use to start scratching off the areas that you want to show through. One thing I always say, it's a little bit messy, so it's kind of nice to have like a, a larger construction paper or a messy mat underneath just to kind of help you catch some of those little pieces that you scratch off. Oh, absolutely. Um, I I love doing that. One of the things I used to do, talking about the, the messiness of it, I used because I was big on using oil pastels as the top coat because if they make a mistake, they can color back over it with the oil pastel. So it's like mm-hmm. good as new. But I used to have students mark a border like an inch or um, I would say like one or two fingers away from the edge so they have a clean edge they color like just a big rectangle but leave a little white border and then color over that and another trick if you're using if you're using oil pastels on top of the wax from the crayon because it's not like touching the paper so it's not really adhering to the paper it just sits on top of the wax and We all know wax is smooth, so it just slides right (laughs) off. But um, if you put a photocopy, like an image on top of there, 
kids can just trace the image from the photocopy to get like the contour line. So it also can work as a transfer technique to get them a little head start on stuff. And that is another thing that is just like magical. It is like there are audible gasps when they peel yeah. off that paper and they see their colorful scratch art version of the you know printed image of a polar bear diving into the water or whatever I've got out for them. Um, so that's another way to to just kick it up a notch with the oil pastels or tempera paint on top of um, wax from crayons. That that sounds really cool. I think I'm gonna have to add that to uh, the next thing I try. So that's really that's exciting. It's such a great way of getting students to develop like that fine motor and just the patience and persistence to color solidly and make the marks. You have to persist with it because you can't take a shortcut or the whole thing won't work. On that topic, using crayons, you know, maybe a bit more traditional for drawing. A bit of advice I always give kids is to layer and build up colors. Any other tips or techniques that you want to share, you know, about how we get the colors to look their best? Yeah, so crayons, they're so versatile. They let you create such a range of art. Um, and one of the easiest ways to kind of help create that range is again, I think we talked a moment ago about pressure, how much pressure you apply. So when you're using crayons, I think it's important to think about the shade or the value of the color you're creating. If you press hard, like we talked about to make scratch art, you're gonna make that dark value or that dark shade. And if you press light, it's gonna make that lighter shade. So you can create your own range of color by just adjusting the pressure when you do color. Um, one of the things I think is really fun, and I remember doing this, and I know my kids did this, and I uh, think students really enjoy doing this, is when you add contrast to your, your works of art um, by outlining shapes with a darker shade. So if you had a house that was blue and you wanted to add some contrast, you would outline that house in a in that same blue but apply more pressure so it's darker. It just gives it a little different element of texture. Um, it's actually, you can always make it even more playful by outlining it with a different color. It doesn't always have to be the same color. So it just depends on, you know, what kind of colors you want to mix and match together. Yeah, like I was saying, I'm always hammering that crayons are wonderful for layering and mixing and creating that wide range of different hues. You know, just because your box only has eight or 12 or 24, or however many crayons, you can still create millions of variations by pressing harder, being gentler, layering and mixing the colors. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also very much a fan. Like that was the first technique that I learned from, um, I learned from a peer actually, who was always better at me in the art classes in my elementary school. And, and I was like, why, why is yours so much better? And she's like, well, I press a little harder on the edges and then I kind of mm -hmm. just let it fade across there. And it creates this nice shadowing effect. And I'm like, yes, of course that works so brilliantly. And like, for the next 10 years, that's all I did on every single drawing was just like that one specific <laughs> technique because I finally had a schema. I finally had a recipe for success. And so I, I'm having a little flashback to my elementary years as a student now and very much appreciative of that. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other advice you want to share with young artists to make the most of the medium? 
So one thing I would definitely say is just remember that if your crayon is broken, it's still very usable and it has a lot more life and a lot of creativity ahead of it. You know, you can, again, as we talked about it, you can melt it, make your own kind of uh, new crayon. The other thing you can do that's always kind of nice is you can create a textured rubbing. So when you have broken pieces, those sometimes make are the right length for you to kind of hold it nicely in your hands and then use the side of those pieces to create like a rubbing. So normally what you do is you just wanna find something around your house or in your classroom that's mostly flat, um, somewhat hard. You know, I know leaves are really popular to do rubbings with. Um, you can use Legos, you can use all kinds of different things. Um, and you basically just layer it, layer those items underneath your paper and you use the side of the crayon to rub over the paper on top of the piece and then those textures those textures just come through and again it's kind of like magic it adds a lot of texture it adds more design elements um, and it helps you keep it helps you use those materials even further i absolutely love that that feels like such a beautiful note to end on because i feel like somewhere there is some symbolism in that in in the notion that all of these crayons brand new worn down all different shapes and sizes they're all good at something right yeah they all have that purpose and they all have some sort of technique that they're wonderful and perfectly suited for well thank you once again uh rita gibson from prang i really appreciate your taking the time and sharing some insights into let's face it, I think probably everybody's old favorite For sure. material. I mean, that smell of a crayon will bring me back to my <laughs> childhood. And I always have a soft spot for that. So thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Art Smart is written, recorded, mixed and edited by me, Kyle Wood. The background music you've been enjoying throughout this episode was created by Less FM, Coma Media and Music Unlimited. Special thanks this week to the artist Herb Williams for giving me insights into his artistic journey and process. And big thanks to Rita Gibson from Prang for telling us how the medium is made. ArtSmart is an Airwave Media podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more, check out my other podcast, Who Arted, or go to the website artsmartpodcast.com for more free resources.